0: thought leadership from PwC. Our Talking ESG series is back, and today's episode is all about TCFD reporting. This is PwC's accounting podcast. You don't want the market to be guessing and
1: making up for the holes you might have in your reporting or the communications that you've put out there. So as much as they can make sure they are owning that story and informing the market they'll be better off in the long run.
2: Don't just think about this from an organisational standpoint as something that the sustainability ESG department has to do or the compliance function. This Requires a number of different departments to actually get together and really think through what the implications are of this because it's going to have back half implications, it's going to have front half implications, it's going to have strategic implications. So, working collaboratively, I think, is the key point
0: here. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. The climate related disclosures contained within the big three ESG reporting proposals. Those are the ones from FRAG, the ISSB, and the SEC are all modeled after the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, also known as the TCFD framework, making this framework an important common baseline of understanding for many companies and especially for people who will be charged with ultimately preparing disclosures in line with any of these proposals. And yes, financial reporting departments, I'm talking to you. As many of you may know, the UK is the first major economy to mandate climate related disclosures in line with TCFD, although some other countries are also looking at adopting these requirements. These requirements in the UK came into effect for public companies for the year beginning January 1, 2021, which means that reports from these companies were available for the first time in 2022. Earlier this year, specialists from PwC UK's corporate reporting team compiled a report reviewing some of these filings and providing highlights and observations from the first 50 companies to report under the rules. From striking the balance between risks and responses to clearly articulating the F or financial impact within the framework, this report provides a number of focus areas for companies looking ahead to potential reporting. Today, we're bringing these specialists straight to you so you can directly hear from them some of the lessons learned. Mark O'Sullivan, PwC UK's Head of Corporate Reporting, led the creation of the report, which is titled, The Green Sheets of TCFD Reporting, and is linked in the show notes. I highly recommend you check it out. Mark is joining us, along with Hilary Eastman, PwC's Director of Investor Engagement will help provide some of the investor perspectives related to this year's batch of TCFD reporting. And of course, given the three of us were together, we definitely strayed into some other areas of ESG reporting. There's a lot we discussed, so let's get started. Hilary Mark, welcome to the podcast. So nice to be recording with you and particularly recording in person. So thanks so much for joining me. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So I'm excited for today's topic because one we've been talking about quite a bit, and it's the fact that we've been talking about the three proposals, we're calling them the big three from SEC, FRAG, and the ISSB, but all three of them were modeled after TCFD. And one of the things that we've talked about, again, previously is the fact that uh, the UK is the first major territory that has mandated climate related disclosures in line with TCFD, starting with large companies, and that happened in January 2021. So Mark, Hillary, so happy to have you here to talk to us a little bit about what we found when we started looking at those. And then I know there's also a lot more developments. And Hillary, of course, I'm going to ask that have to ask you about other investor matters. But anyway, we'll have a good chat today. So thanks for joining me. All right. So just to kick things off, Mark, let me start with you. And I think to level set, you reviewed how many filings? Uh,
2: We reviewed the first 50 um, companies that had reported under the new requirements. All
0: right. And what were some of the key findings?
2: I mean, I think... To start with, it's fair to say that there's been a really positive response um, from all companies. I mean, they took it seriously. They had to. They're under increasing pressure from a number of key stakeholders. Um, but there was a lot of effort and consideration into what they report. Um, and that manifested itself in, in in the quality of the disclosures itself. So there's been a lot of information that has been reported. I mean, we've seen a significant increase in the volume of information, um, quite a bit of insight provided, I think it's fair to say that the framework itself um, is quite subjective. So it's actually quite difficult to really form a view on compliance or how much is enough. Um, But as I sort of sit there and reflect on, on year one, positive response, but companies were often in danger of either suggesting they'd done more than they really had, feeling that they needed to comply, um, or that climate change was arguably a bigger risk than perhaps it is at the moment on, in their reporting. So it, it, was, it was a sort of a mixed result.
0: So you're saying for the final point, just to get the right balance of you've been asked to disclose something, but maybe it's not material for your company. So how do you think about disclosing that?
2: Absolutely, undoubtedly. I, th- I think you know there's a new piece of regulation out. There's a lot of attention being placed on it. And so companies quite rightly felt they had to do the right thing. Um, and I'm sure we'll come back to it in part of the discussion. But there is that question hanging over it about whether they would got the right balance in their disclosures.
0: So one of the things that you said, Mark, that was interesting is it's hard to assess compliance. And maybe that's an advantage, maybe, with some of the new reporting regimes that there are more metrics and otherwise in there. But I know we're going to get into this later, but some of the um, oversight bodies in the UK did take a look at those uh, reports and they had their own own findings, but TCFD itself also did benchmarking of reporting around the world, not just in the UK. And one of the couple key, uh, statistics I'd like to share. So 3,800 companies are providing TCFD aligned reporting, at least enough to be sharing their information with the TCFD. Like I think we know the number is likely much higher than that. But one of the things that again, the TCFD said itself is it believes that the growth is due to investor demand for companies to report in line with those recommendations. And in particular. The task force cited Climate Action 100+, uh, 700 investors with over $68 trillion in assets that are engaging large GHG-emitting companies to report in line with TF- TCFD, and CDP announced earlier this year that over 680 financial institutions with more than $130 in assets have asked over 10,000 companies to disclose through CDP, which is aligned with TCFG. So lots of numbers there, but I think just, again, showing a lot of momentum. But as a takeaway, I think We are at least seeing that it seems like this is all coming or not all coming, but a lot of it's coming from a pressure from investors, perhaps maybe some broader global pressures as well. But Hillary, what are some of the perspectives that you're seeing coming out of this first reporting cycle?
1: Yeah, investors are definitely interested in climate risk and how it's affecting business. I think there's the issue of, you know, climate change is seem to be happening and they need to know what's going to happen to the companies that they're invested in and how well they're managing that. So overall they welcome, you know, and for years have welcomed the TCFD recommendations and are glad to see it starting to be um, put into place in various countries around the world. And I think in also the fact that, as you mentioned, that the the big three disclosure proposals are, uh, the climate disclosures are, are largely based on TCFD that adds some consistency and something that they know and are familiar with so that um, it helps with the reporting. Once they see it, they know kind of more how to digest it. Um, I think one of the things that we're seeing in the UK, one thing I'm hearing from investors is it is early days in this reporting. So even though the recommendations have been out for a number of years, it's still new for companies to be disclosing it. So they can see that there will be an evolution. There will be uh, improvements in the data availability and the processes and I guess maturity of the reporting over a few reporting cycles, and they are, you know, they welcome that. But I think we'll probably see, like we've seen with other areas, that expectations will raise rise quite quickly. And they will, you know, right now they'll say, "Okay, that's a good first year. That's helpful." Next year, I want to see more. Next year, I want to see more. And they will start to see, start to be asking for more. And I think they'll also start to see that some companies do more. So the larger companies reporting, so then they'll have probably higher expectations of smaller companies because they'll have been seeing something from one part of the market that they'll kind of expect the other parts to learn from quite quickly and implement. But uh, but I think the overarching message is that climate risk is is now seen as something that is equivalent to an investment risk, and they really want to know how companies are managing it how it's affecting their prospects, the financial implications of it, and what that um, might
0: mean going forward. Can I pause you there for a second? So one of the things, Hillary, you and I have been talking about is this is not universal from investors. So we definitely, there is at least a subset of investors that is perhaps... I don't want to say anti-climate, but let's say for this purpose, anti-climate. And so how do we see any effect then of, let's say, for these companies that were required to report, perhaps less so because they were required to report, but maybe voluntary reporters then are, you know, do we see a reaction from some investors that you're going too far in that direction?
1: I don't know if it's a the climate reporting is going too far, but maybe the um, management of climate risk might be seen by some as going too far. So I think one thing that's important, well, one of the things, and we've talked about this, that ESG, sustainability, climate, you know, is being used to cover a number of different types of areas. So... You know, is it core to the business? Is it something that's more about the impact on the outside world or kind of the purpose of the organization? Or is it something that's more charitable and philanthropic, you know, and we're using the same terms to describe all three of those. And that's part of the problem, I think, because depending on where you start from, so I always start from the core to the business part, others start from the charitable, philanthropic part, and the further out you get, the less relevant it is to the business model, um, and then there's the question around, is it business's responsibility to do that? Or is it just an extra nice thing to do, but not fundamental or fundamentally important to your business? So that, I think, needs to be clarified. And it would be uh, helpful, I think, for companies to really be clear in their reporting which aspects are fundamental to the running of their business and the future of their business. Because even though we might disagree on whether um, climate risk is going to affect a business today versus five years from now versus 30 years from now that the way the company manages that going forward and thinks about the implications for its business model are important whether or not you think that that matters today and we also know that investors have different time horizons so if an investor has six months three years even 10 years if this is something that might not be happening for 20 years they might say company don't make the investment or incur the cost to deal with this today, because I won't be here then. So you don't need to do it. And that's, we don't want that, you know, situation yes. to happen.
0: Although it's interesting, because I I mean, we've talked about this, and I do agree with your sort of uh, categories, I'll call it of ESG. But I do think it's not so clear cut. Because for example, you use the word fundamental to the business, someone could say, and I know we're talking about climate here, but just let's talk, more broadly about ESG for a moment, someone may say, Oh, well, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is fundamental to my business, because I'm not going to be able to connect with my customers, I'm not going to get employees, like all these different things. But someone else may say, Well, no, 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 that's in the second ring, or that's in the third ring. And so how do you see that that's mattering from an investor point of view, or it's just a sort of general framework to think about? And then it's how an individual company kind of puts that into action.
1: I really think it depends on the business. So if your business, like look at our business, it's about the people. And so if we can't source talent from the broadest possible pool of talent, then we're gonna be limited in, in, you know, the way our business can grow, the customers or clients we can serve. Other businesses that may be more um, you know, industrial where you have people operating machines and obviously their knowledge and know-how of doing that is important, but it's more um, fungible, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I think the it really depends on the business on what will be fundamental to that business. So whether that's diversity or energy or you know, that's a
0: great answer. Maybe um, you need to be talking to to company executives about how to think about some of this, Hillary. <laughs> it's a very helpful perspective there to think but, about.
2: But I think the um, that that point goes to to the heart of arguably one of the key findings that we got from our review that we see at the moment and it's difficult you you, you could argue that regulation is is <clears throat> arguably running ahead of where organizations really are in their understanding appreciation and measurement of some of these fundamental risks because when we look at the our disclosures um or the disclosures that companies made a lot of the time you didn't really get a clear understanding or an appreciation of what risk or opportunity an organisation faced. Um, it was reporting for reporting sake, regulatory compliance at the moment, rather than a, a clear articulation of the risk or opportunity itself, which part of the business is most affected by it, over what time frame and so forth. So I think that granularity and specificity of risk and opportunity is something that we hope we will start to see as as a company's understanding and management of these risks evolves.
0: So going back to maybe to your first point that it was the level of disclosure wasn't always consistent with the level of risk better articulating really what are the climate, in this case, climate climate risks for this particular entity? How is management addressing them? And then, I think going back to Hillary's point, what are the time periods over which it's investing them? Then, coming full circle, may better address the investor needs as well as perhaps better comply with the requirements.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I think one of the challenges again in this whole area is this challenge of linkage, and we can come back to this at you know time and again. But how do how do companies helping the reader better understand how this risk if we talk about climate or you mentioned earlier you know diversity inclusion culture actually is integral to an organization's corporate strategy purpose and and long-term success that 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 creating that clearer connection between these disclosures and the discussion around strategy and risk I think is is a is a is an opportunity as much as a challenge for organisations because once that becomes a lot clearer, I think you get a better appreciation of of why are why an organisation is focusing on some of these things. Because the reality is, some organisations are establishing some quite ambitious carbon reduction commitments or, or targets because fundamentally that government and and, and territories are are establishing those those targets and, and businesses are having to respond rather than it being integral to a business's success. And actually just some transparency about why those targets are being set would be welcome.
0: So Hilary, I think following on that then, I know you, as some of the work you've done with investors, you've identified sort of specific things from a climate perspective that you would say um, what they're focusing on, I guess, for lack of a better word. So what are some of those things? things that maybe they'd be looking for in reviewing these reports.
1: Yeah. Well, one of them I'll start off with, with Heather, we've talked about this before it's, it comes back to, and we've talked about this already, the relevance to the business and how it affects the, the business prospects and the operations and, uh, and what it means going forward. So uh, they want to know how also, how is the company managing that risk? What are the investments that might be needed to be able to help them manage that? And what are the financial impacts over time? the current implications on financial performance and, you know, on the financial statements on leverage um, and asset values. And ultimately I think what the investors are looking to do is understand the riskiness or the opportunities that lie in their investments. And so that they can make the right decisions. Another point that keeps coming up and Mark, you alluded to it is kind of this concept of, of impact or the um, you know investors are, some investors are starting to say to me now, "Well, I see a lot more companies disclosing information about how they're managing climate risk. Yet, climate still, you know, the Earth is still heating up. And, you know, where is the progress? Actually, is there progress actually being made? Because we can't see it, and, and the um, situation seems to be getting worse. So, the that question um, is coming, and that is or that observation keeps happening. Um, so, I think that's going to be an area where probably governments and business have to get together to." Figure out the solution to make sure that the disclosures match the change that's happening.
2: It's interesting because I don't know. I don't know what what you guys think, but it almost feels like organizations are just at the the foothills of this significant issue that's going to be with us for for a, a number of years. So companies can't possibly get things right first time. You know, their understanding is going to change. Um, their management of this issue is going to change um, and how their reporting tells that story. They won't get it right in year one. The risks they identify won't be the right risks. The potential impact won't be the right impact. So how they give a sense of the uncertainty and the assumptions um, and, and their plans and the progress they make, I think that will become far more important than it... Than it is at the moment. A lot of the, the focus this month tell us the risk, tell us the potential impact, but actually, it's taking the, the the reader, the investor, on that journey as their as the as their understanding changes, which will become important.
1: I was just going to follow on from that because I think the you know where the actions, the right actions, is going to be a critical challenge in coming years, and I think that leads us to greenwashing because there's an issue you know question around greenwashing. It's not. Just you know, a company omitting something or, or, you know, not telling the truth about something related to climate or environmental issues. It's also the risk of being judged in hindsight for something. You might make the right decision today based on the information that you have today, but tomorrow you might find out that that information was actually not correct, or you have you know better information that comes to light after mm-hmm. the fact. And being judged in hindsight is not ever. Uh, a pleasant experience so i think companies are going to have to think through that and how they explain why things have changed
0: well and i think it's such a good point so many directions we could take that but when you say this point um were the actions the right actions i mean some uh, in some cases we may not even know until 2035 2045 2050 and you know I understand companies can have long planning horizons, but I don't know that typically investors would necessarily be having to think about these longer horizons. And in 2050, let's see, it's more than 25 years from now, it's not even the same workforce, it's not the same management, it's not the same investors. There's so many changes that it is kind of a struggle for a management to think about, I'm making decisions today that are maybe Suboptimal optimal for today, but are optimizing my 2050 future. And so are investors penalizing, giving credit, or too soon to tell? I think Harry? it's probably too soon to yeah. tell. I think one thing that would probably be really helpful
1: is if companies do make a decision and say they have two or more competing ones to choose from, that they monitor what, the, what happens with the ones that they didn't make to see if they're making the right decisions to help frame and improve their decision-making capabilities going forward and know if they're doing the right thing. But you're right. Well, you know, in 2050, we won't be able to tie back to what happened in 2022 and say, if I had only done this thing, one thing differently, or these 10 things differently, Mm -hmm. then we would be in a better place in 2050. I mean, we won't never be able to tie it back like that.
2: But that, but that's at the, the heart of, um, Struggling to figure out which day of the week it is, but I think it was last week. The our financial reporting council um, published a lab report, so they have a sort of separate part of our regulator that really engages with investors and corporates to sort of um, provide some practical advice on on certain disclosures. And they published what, uh, a paper on net zero reporting, um, and that goes to the heart of the issue that Hillary was was um, sort of talking about: the idea that the companies are establishing these ambitious targets with very long-term end games, but there's very little transparency about how companies are going to get there, partially because they just don't know Mm -hmm. that they need to set these, coming back to what I was saying earlier about these government targets, they need to be seen to be meeting these targets. But what investors were saying as part of this lab report was we need to get far more transparency about what, what does the commitment actually cover. It's all well and good to say we've got a net zero target, but does it, which missions mm-hmm. does it cover? Which parts of the business? Over what time timeframe? Um, how might that evolve? What are the underlying assumptions or uncertainties? Which parts of the business need to be managed and so forth? Some of that information companies just don't have and therefore will be accused of greenwashing, which is a little unfair in a lot of cases. They're just still working it through but at least having a, a sort of a framework from for which companies can report i think that that's a use it was a useful report from that perspective so being very clear about the commitments what's the potential impact that it's going to have and then how companies can be more transparent about the progress they've made in their performance so is our performance on track does that performance in one year actually marry with what we our plan is so definitely a, a useful report to Look at
0: all right, and we'll definitely make sure there's a link in the show notes in case our listeners want to look at that that more.
1: I was going to add one thing to that. The other um, point that has come up quite often with investors is, and how much is this going to cost? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they and we. Spoiler alert! But we added this question in our investor survey for this year, so that will be coming out probably in December. But the preliminary results show that having the Financial amount, the monetary amount of the investment that's needed to reach net zero, or other commitments, is critically important for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that there's an F in TCFD, isn't there? But um, it's it's an area that was probably the the, the most challenging for organisations. Um, we only found eight um, percent. Um, of companies of of the fifty companies we looked at, so you can do the math yes. on that. Um, actually, provided any financial quantification of of the risk of climate change. Now that's not unusual. Um, there's a there's nervousness out there. Um, some companies are concerned that it will come across as forecasts. Um, the reality is, I think that what the TCFD are looking for is: can there be more quantification of the potential scenarios? The uh, so. Not, it's not going to set figure, but there may be a spread. Um, but equally, as Hilary you say, is the, the costs, the potential costs of us needing to respond to this. How much is it going to cost in R and D and so forth? So I think that is the other area that that will evolve. I think um, over the next few years is that sort of focus in on what's going to be the cost to respond to this and and, and the potential opportunity.
0: So I think that's a helpful perspective. Let me loop back then to where we started. And we've touched on a little of this, but I think it would be good to dive a little deeper. And mark, some of the key findings you saw in, in the study.
2: Yes, certainly. So, I mean, as we've sort of t- talked about, I mean, I think that the the... Greater granularity and specificity of the risk and opportunity disclosures is 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 a key one. Um, thinking through the potential impacts of of climate change and starting to quantify that, I think, is is an important aspect. A lot of w- what we've talked about are, are um, what I what we term front half disclosures. Um, I think the other key. Um, Challenge that companies are, are facing is around um, connectivity, consistency, and, and balance. Um, so, so taking, the, I suppose, those first two, it, it, there is consistency between the statements in the front half and the financial statements and notes. So at this point, um, a lot of companies, there's an increase in volume, as I mentioned earlier, um, the conclusion from which is often, but it's not material. Mm -hmm. Um, And right now that may be the case, but in a number of instances, what we find is a significant amount of disclosure in the front and then nothing and nothing in the back half. Um, And I think that sparks confusion and uncertainty that some clarification of of why it's not material or why there isn't much disclosure in the back half, I think is important. So more transparency about the relationship between the front and the back, would, I think is an important part that companies need to think through. That's not forcing it, content into the back that doesn't shouldn't be there under current accounting standards. It's just providing that more rounded assessment. And the next, well, the other area is around the connectivity, actually just within the front half. We Again, we mentioned those significant disclosures on climate change can often feel siloed. So you can read 40, 50 pages around a business and its company and its strategy and its performance, and then suddenly nine pages on climate change um, that's not been referred to before. And then a discussion about risks that doesn't mention climate change. So how do companies uh, ground... That disclosure in the context of corporate strategy, performance and risk, I think, is critically important to get the the whole picture. And then finally, in terms of connectivity, actually connectivity between the four pillars of the framework itself. Often companies will talk about governance and they'll talk about risk and they'll talk about strategy um, and metrics and and targets, but they won't actually connect them. So the strategy that they're talking about actually doesn't seem to bear any relationship with the risks they've identified, the metrics that they're monitoring don't seem to measure the risk. So there's quite a lot there I appreciate, but, but that whole connectivity I think is, is important.
0: So it's an interesting point because I was just reflecting on the SEC proposed disclosures and they actually specify that for the front part, they want it in one section. They have a climate-related disclosure section. And Mark, what you're suggesting is that actually may be doing a disservice to investors because it's isolating the uh, company's approach to climate risk from everything else it's talking about in, in the front of its uh, statements.
2: I'll let Hillary intervene um, in a second. I, the jury is out. There aren't many of us sad people that read an entire annual report from cover to cover as if it's a book. To have everything on climate in one place may, for some users, um, be exactly what they need. Um, I think the point that we were talking about earlier, which I think can partially be addressed by integrating some of this content in the others, is trying to understand, trying to have the context to understand the risk itself if you're suddenly just reading stuff on climate change that isn't connected to incentive schemes and and the strategy and what's being communicated to the market, then I think that there's a challenge there. So in reality, I think for compliance sakes, you're gonna get companies wanting to try and put it all in one place. But but I think hopefully as this becomes more embedded into day-to-day management of business, uh, I mean, it's long-term success, then integration I think is the way forward.
1: I'd agree with that. I guess with industries that are really significantly affected by climate change, having a separate section would make sense because investors and other stakeholders are going to be wondering, what are you doing about this? But by and large, I think climate risk, I mean it's it's significant and it's pervasive, but it is in in concepts similar to other risks that business faces. So having it all in one section could make it seem like it's something that's kind of tangential to the business when actually it probably will eventually for all companies permeate everything and how they're managing that is going to be, you know, you can't talk about it in that one section. It's going to have to come up throughout.
0: Right. Or I guess it's a combination of, you know, internal referencing can also be helpful, right? So you're talking about your broader strategy and then you can refer to climate. But I do have a question and, you know, Hillary, we've chatted a bit about the fact that there is this subset of investors that's less interested. I think there's companies that really either don't see the impact on their business or who perhaps are denying the impact on their business, however you're looking at it. And, you know, we've made the comment when it's more embedded in your strategy, it's more part of business as usual. Do we see then that there's almost going to be uh, two 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 paths, one for perhaps companies that are significant, or maybe three paths, So one, for companies that are significantly impacted, and then maybe for companies that aren't, the ones that are almost like doing what they can, and then the ones that are like, this isn't that important for us, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it.
1: Uh, That's a good question, Heather, because when we look at the effect of climate change, it's going to differ by timeframe and by industry. So if you take a company like a retailer that probably won't be significantly affected by climate risk today, then they are not... uh, you know, they might be thinking, well, I don't need to disclose too much about this now, and I will meet the minimum requirements that I need to, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time focusing on this. Um, whereas if you get an extractives company or an oil and gas company utility, they're going to be more affected today than other industries, and that's going to mean that they're going to have to make a lot more disclosure, and there'll be a lot more questions asked of them. There will be other industries like agriculture, for example, or other that are affected but the effect is probably going to increase in the near term more than some other industries, but they're, you know, so it's really going to depend on the industry, the time frame we're looking at and how they're managing it. I don't think we're going to find any company in ind- any industry, and I'm not going to give a time frame here, but at some point in the future where they're going to say, I'm not affected by this at all, because even if they're not actively contributing mm-hmm. to emissions, they are going to have, kind of second and third order effects. So there will be changes in consumer demand. They will have to look at their supply chain. They'll have to think about who they're selling to and what they're contributing to the process, you know, and or to the problem. And that's that's going to be pervasive across all companies, I think, at some point.
0: Yeah. And it's a very interesting point and not to dive too deeply into this, but even that retailer and I think this goes back to Mark's very opening point about almost like overplaying the risk a retailer may actually be a company more inclined to say we are going net zero we're we're doing taking all these actions because maybe that's appealing to its consumers, and yet, in the big scheme of things it's it's very small and it's not really contributing to profit or otherwise. So I do think. It's going to take some time, maybe, for things to sort themselves out to people to be better educated, better understand, and the like. definitely, I think education is a is a really important point, Heather, because
1: we you know we are all learning about climate risk, you know now we all kind of agree that it exists, um and that climate change is well, happening most of us do <laughs> most <Yeah. laughs> most but not all, but you know an increasing number there is we don't it's not a linear process, you know, so it doesn't, just because now we know that it happens, we don't know what that necessarily means for business, for ourselves, what we as individuals should do. There are a lot of trade-offs. There are things that, you know, you might think that you're making one change, you know, you might put solar panels on the roof of your house, but how long is the life cycle of that solar panel? How do you dispose of it? What are the consequences of that? So there are knock on effects of every decision that we make. And we don't know all of that. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. So I think it's going to be a long, long process while we figure that out. we already touched on some of that with uh, what's going to happen in 2050 that you've done, should have done differently today. Yeah.
0: And I guess maybe Hillary to that point, Have you, you know, I know you've been following um, investors and working on sort of investor views for some time. Are there other issues you would equate to this where you have seen where it has such a long time horizon? Or is the rest of them more sort of immediate impact? Most of them are probably more immediate impact. I mean, the thing
1: with climate risk is it's a systemic risk. Mm -hmm. You know, it's affecting everything and everyone. And so that's... Different from something like Brexit that only affects some companies in some ways in some parts of the world, um, even though it feels pervasive as we sit here in the UK. Uh, So, or cyber risk might be another one that's systemic, um, you know, depending on how digitally focused your business Mm -hmm. is. So, I think there are analogies, uh, but in a way, climate risk is
0: different just because it affects everything. So one of the questions that I also think is interesting is we spend a lot of time talking about climate change. I mean, I've been doing an entire podcast practically every Thursday for a year talking about disclosures and otherwise. But there's a lot of other things going on in the world. And we have spent some time talking about them. But, you know, climate is really dominating, I think, for many companies. It, in some ways, it is. And then even if you look at regulators and proposed disclosures and, and otherwise, we see that. So, for example, we see the SEC has proposed rules on cyber and climate. Now, neither have come out yet. But on their timeline, cyber is coming out six months later than climate. We don't know when they're actually coming out. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, even... Those types of risks, we're seeing different emphasis. We see all the inflation. You see the issues, you know, you guys mentioned uh, Brexit. So I guess, Mark, as a company and as you think about how climate disclosures fit in, how do they fit into all these other things going on in the world that are maybe more immediate? And then climate, we're not sure what it really means.
2: It To me, it's potentially the biggest challenge that that the reporting agenda and companies face um, over the next few months and and, and years. I mean, we've seen a a 65% increase in the average length of just the strategic report um, um, or company strategic reports over the last five years, dominated by ESG matters. And there's no end in, in sight to regulation. And so companies will be constantly fighting fires to report more and more information. And to excuse the pun, how sustainable is that for the annual report? How does the annual report continue to be a document of record that is used by investors if more and more information on climate change is, is forced into it? I, uh, maybe overusing that phrase at the expense of some of this other stuff. So certainly we've been having conversations with a number of companies, indeed the regulator um, here, about how do they get the messaging right? How do they focus in on on, on the short-term risks that are really affecting performance in the current year, whilst giving um, a, a sense of how they are beginning to manage this medium and long-term risk? And and I there's no magic ball, you know, there's no sort of obvious answer, but I think it's going to be a real challenge. And one of the one of the, the solutions I think, and I might be shot down for saying it, having supported the whole integrated reporting concept for a decade or more, is companies making better use of other mediums to communicate some of this information um, and making use of technology to drive users to the right content that they need for the right things. And and we're not there yet.
0: And, And I guess I, so I think totally agree with those points. And I do think it's a big challenge for companies, both as they think about risks and strategy, as well as then thinking about disclosure but then, Hillary, how do investors think about that information? Because we have this sort of overarching, long-term, we're not sure what's going to happen risk. And in the meantime, we've got a lot of risks today. So how how do you consider those? Yeah, I mean, volume is a perennial problem, um, I know from a
1: corporate perspective, but also from an investor perspective. And I think with the the big three, Disclosures coming in at at some point in the next couple of years, there's going to be a, a huge onslaught of information that investors are going to get and they're going to have to sift through and try to figure out what's important. And to Mark's point about how now there's a lot more disclosure on climate, perhaps at the expense of other things that are important to the business, investors really rely on companies to make that distinction for them and to explain what's most relevant for their business, and what is it that investors need to know to understand the investment they're making, or or potentially, um, you know, buying, selling, or holding? They are. It's important that then um, companies are able to give that balanced picture, so that uh, so that it's very clear. Now, one thing that's good about all the climate disclosures, and I think we see this with other things, you know, when something climate risk isn't a new thing. But when something, you know, somewhat new comes on the scene, companies are then asked to disclose more about it. And it kind of takes prominence for a while. And so I think we'll probably see that where there's going to be a lot of climate disclosure. And then it will ease off as the implications for the business start to become known and it becomes more kind of business as usual. Right now it's all new, so I think there's going to be a lot more. But at least it's raising awareness of the issue. It's making companies think about what are the implications for my business. It's making investors ask the same question, what does it mean for, you know, in terms of investment risk for the portfolio that I've got? And what are the long-term implications of this? And I think that's a helpful thing.
0: Yeah, I do think your point about maybe things will become more clear and I was just thinking, we're all using twenty fifty, so it's like this magic year that all of a sudden it's gonna be so obvious what's gonna happen. And, you know, I think we're gonna be in twenty forty nine saying, so in twenty seventy when when things become more <laughs> clear. So or or maybe not. We'll we'll see. But hopefully at least I th- you know, we will have more information as time evolves. So, I think it's a good point, um, Mark. I wanted to go back because you mentioned earlier uh, regulators, and you also mentioned the FRC review that they completed of these TCFD reports. So, just any findings that you would highlight?
2: Um, you're right. So, over 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 the last few months, um, two of our regulators, um, the FCA and and the FRC, we like our acronyms over here, um, have been hard at work reviewing. Um, TCFD disclosures from, from, of premium listed companies. Overall, the findings were entirely consistent with PwC's um, earlier report and, and what we've dis- discussed, but there's sort of probably one or two areas that were worth just um, highlighting. Um, firstly, from a UK perspective, although I think this is relevant globally, Both um, regulators emphasise the importance of um, the TCFD's um, annex and Mm -hmm. and supporting guidance. So it's not just complying with the uh, four pillars and 11 recommendations, but actually there's a lot of additional guidance that they are keen for companies to consider. And and that follows on to to another key point around materiality. Um, We've not really touched on that phrase thankfully, because we could probably have a whole podcast on it. But um, they w- they want more transparency from companies about how they reached the conclusions of what they reported and what they didn't. And including all this additional guidance. So you've, you know, you've looked at it, you've thought about it, actually, how did you draw the conclusion that what you reported was appropriate? So I think that was um, a, a, another key a key point on on that one, and the and the other one, um, other than all the other comments that we've had earlier, was that they em- they emphasised the point that they are expecting companies, all companies, regardless of which sector they're in, to report seven of the eleven recommendations, principally around governance and risk and and um, one or two of the strategy of metrics and targets. So they were being quite clear that, regardless, you should have all thought about and have in place governance to assess the risk and at least have some sort of strategy to respond, which was quite an interesting um, sort of emphasis placed on from both of them. But I think under underlying um, the reports, what's interesting is, I don't know what your experience is, but first year of regulation, a lot of interest, Hillary, you mentioned about a lot of interest, a lot of disclosure. There's always a danger after year one that companies breathe a sigh of relief; they've complied, and that sets the bar. And it's very difficult to shift companies from that level. It takes time for them to go. Well, why should I report more? I'm, you know. So one of the interesting things coming out of it is both the FRC and the FCA talked about how they would um, be placing a lot more attention on companies' disclosures and writing to companies um, uh, on the quality of their, their reporting. So I think that's that's put them on record as actually you can't just rest on your laurels. We will be continuing to challenge. And I think that's arguably one of the most important things that came out of those reviews, but they're well worth a, a, a read.
0: All right, we'll definitely put links to those as well.
1: Yeah, a um, couple thoughts on, on that. I mean, on your last point, Mark, on resting on their laurels and what the FRC and FCA will be looking at going forward. I think climate might be slightly different than some other disclosures that come in and then that becomes the right. basis and then, you know, update the numbers but kind of leave it as is. Given that investors are so interested in this and we've had we've had letters, we've had conversations with investors that are really interested in climate reporting um, and also in the implications for the financial statements and, um, you know, and even... Statements uh, that companies are making about how they're managing climate risk are important. But then there's always the next year investors going, well, OK, that's fine. But now I want to know more. I want to know exactly how you're doing and I want to know what this means. And so I think that the bar will be raised by the market with uh, companies needing to yeah, do, okay. do ever more. Yeah.
0: My follow up points to those is I agree with you. I do think we should do an entire podcast on materiality. So (laughs) be looking for an invite for that. So Mark Hillary, definitely a lot to think about and talk about. And we've kind of gone many, many different directions. But our listeners, I'm sure are thinking, okay, what does this mean? And in particular, in the context of Perhaps they're doing TCFD reporting because that's coming in for more companies, or they're just thinking about their disclosures under the big three or voluntary disclosures or otherwise. I think many, many more companies are making some sort of climate or ESG uh, disclosures. So... What would you tell them as advice from either what you're hearing from investors or what we saw in our own study or the studies that, you know, we've read that were done by others? So maybe Hillary, I'll go to you first.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. The point we made, I made earlier about investors wanting to know directly from companies, what are the effects of climate change or anything else, really, um, I think it's critical, you know, Every time a new accounting standard comes in, companies do these elaborate investor presentations talking about what is the change, what does it mean, what are the new line items, which line items are going and stuff. You know, I think that that kind of disclosure, that kind of presentation for investors and analysts will be really really helpful because companies are best placed to explain how does what does this mean for my business and to explain it to the market. So I think they have a good example to follow from what they've done with accounting standards. And this approach doesn't need to be any different. And, and one thing to just remind companies, which I'm sure they're all aware of, is you don't want the market to be guessing and making up for the holes you might have in your reporting or the communications that you've put out there. So as much as they can make sure they are you know, owning that story and informing the market, they'll be better off in the long run.
0: All right, definitely good advice. So, Mark, now it's maybe harder to go second. uh, but I'm feeling
2: feeling the pressure.
0: I'm sure you have a few thoughts.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's difficult to sort of easy, or sorry, it's easy to reel off a long list, but I think some of the key things for companies to really think about, and we've talked about it before um, quite a bit, proportionality or or providing the right level of information, that's always challenging. But being very clear um, about why it is important, making clear connections with other key disclosures to help the reader understand the scale of the risk and being transparent about the going to use the phrase, the journey they're on. You won't, they won't have the answer in year one. So don't even suggest that you do. So be very clear about what the underlying assumptions, the uncertainties, the, your future plans and, and take, Investors and other key stakeholders on on, on that journey and therefore underpinning it, I think fundamentally for organisations is don't just think about this from an organisational standpoint as something that the sustainability ESG department has to do or the compliance function. This requires a number of different departments to actually get together and really think through what the implications are of this because it's going to have back half implications it's going to have front half implications it's going to have strategic implications so working collaboratively i think is the key point here
0: all right both excellent advice from both of you and definitely excellent insights looking forward to our next podcast like i said look for an invite but both thanks so much for joining me today thank you great to be here thanks that's our show for today Tune in next week for more fresh episodes, including an update on the ISSB's meetings that are going on this week. So that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. To stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me at heather.horn at pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in.
2: This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for
0: general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.